Welcome to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with senior business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. I'm Tom Ritchie, Changeboard's multimedia editor. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe. The Future Talent Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Nigel Spencer, who's the Senior Client Director at Said Business School. After a career in academia exploring cultural change and group dynamics, Nigel went on to work in professional services for PwC and in talent development for international law firms. In his role at Saeed, Nigel has developed a range of white papers on the importance of strategic talent programs in creating competitive advantages. In this podcast, I asked Nigel about the impact of automation in professional services, the ways in which technology is augmenting the industry's culture, and how talent strategies are changing to attract the younger generations entering the workforce. Hi Nigel, uh, thanks so much for speaking with us today. I thought we could start um, with a quick introduction to your career and the areas of uh, research that you're particularly interested in. Sure, well thanks Tom, it's great to be here. Um, so yeah, career-wise, early stage was research related. So I did lots of stuff around more anthropological type themes around hierarchy, power, identity, how groups work and how cultures change through time. Um, then moved on from there into the city, was at PwC and then two global law firms where I headed up leadership development for many years. Um, and one of the projects near the end of that was quite interesting was actually building an innovation hub. So we did that sort of in, in career-wise uh, up to recently. Now I'm up at Oxford uh, doing leadership development coaching programs as well. And so the research I'm interested in that you mentioned there I've just finished seri doing a series of practitioner insights papers, so four white papers about how professional career paths are changing. You know, so what impact is AI having and disruption on the business model of professional firms? Um, what does that mean for career paths? You know, and what does it mean for professionals themselves as well? Um, and also, I, I, a big stream of my research the last 10 years has been how can you actually make learning very experiential? and how, help people transition into mm. the workplace and then be good leaders. Mm. So you mentioned there um, the impact of automation uh, in industry at the moment, but um, I'd also like to particularly focus on the professional services side of it. Sure. So um, yeah, yeah. how is automation changing the workplace um, in, in professional services and indeed beyond? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question because ultimately what it's doing is making knowledge more of a commodity. You know, you can press a button and get lots of information now, and so can your client. You know, which makes it really interesting. So I think one challenge for PSFs is, professional service firms is, as this knowledge becomes more commoditized, given that they're a knowledge business, you know, perhaps it becomes less about what you transmit, you know, just transmitting all that knowledge because people can get that mm. rather than, you know, how to interpret it. And I think, you know, that's led on to a number of interesting interesting sort of challenges for firms around what do clients value and what will they value in the future? Um, how can you take advantage of some of this data that's available? And frankly, you know, what shape does your business need to be? Mm. So from a talent point of view, you know, how many graduates or apprentices do you need? And also what skill sets do people need to build as well? So it, I think it's quite complex, and it's, but it's hitting that, that sector really quickly. Mm. And how do you think that um, professional services firms have changed since, since you worked in, in, in PwC? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd pick out probably about four themes here, here, Tom, I think. I mean, one is, you know, on a practical level, as I said, how do you actually set up and then evolve your business? So, you know, some firms are taking the view of perhaps we need to relocate part of our business so we can be more efficient. Clients are demanding more efficiency, you know, more value, value delivery from firms. So how should we structure our business? Where do we need to be? Um, you know, and also which bits of these new services that clients are demanding, which bits should we build 
and which bits should we buy? Mm. You know, so that whole kind of build or buy, do we build adjacent services on top of this? So that's one one thought. Um, I think the really good firms at this time of change are putting the client very much at the centre of their thinking. So actually thinking about, okay, what's the what's changing in the client's world and how do we need to change what we provide to them so we remain relevant and add a lot of value to them? So that would be a second point. Another thing that I guess links to that is the whole skill sets thing. You know, what really will add value? And therefore, what do we need to train and develop our people towards to actually deliver for the clients? Which takes you to the final point, actually, of, you know, again, skill sets. What can you develop people in? But also, should we actually get different types of people in the firm? Mm. So, you know, some people are now, some firms, uh, professional firms, are now hiring people with more tech backgrounds. Yeah. For interesting. So it's really interesting how it's changing. Yeah, I was speaking to Harvey Lewis, who you'll be appearing with at the Future Talent Conference, and he um, is now heading up EY's tax practice, despite the fact that he has had no background in tax, but he's using his knowledge from mm. uh, emerging technologies such as blockchain and AI to yeah. um, change the world, to look at how they can update the practice. Yeah. So a lot of it is, and this is something that is probably applicable to a lot of different industries, not just the professional services firms, is you've got to be more open on canvassing ideas from different sources absolutely and, and i think that touches on the whole thing of the culture of firms as well you know and what's changing in the culture of professional firms because i think as you just hinted there i think almost the definition of what a firm is is actually changing as well mm. because you know there's no longer this barrier or barrier this definition between accountancy or law you know you have probably more just as many lawyers in ey or pwc now as you do in many of the big law firms. Mm. So, you know, that whole definition. So what's it mean to be the to be the firm we are? What's the culture? Are we someone that actually provides all these tech solutions? Or are we someone that also provides the advisory stuff we always did? And almost what is the middle ground, perhaps, between that mm. as well? So it's interesting how the culture is changing, I think, Tom, too. Mm. And that kind of brings us on to another question, which is around innovation. So, mm. for example, the with the example of Harvey, you know, that's an innovative way of updating a tax practice. Um, so how are firms kind of approaching this? You mentioned, uh, do we buy it? Do we develop it ourselves? Yeah. So is that the, the, the real kind of existential question of, of innovation in these firms? Well, I think... I mean, I'll, I'll just go back to the point of we need to keep the client at the centre, just as a little kind of preface to beginning this. But but firms are working at it in different ways, actually, Tom, which is really interesting. So to give a few examples, some are partnering with startups. So they're almost setting up incubators in their offices to see if they can almost build a solution between this provider and them. I saw another advert from one of the big law firms literally about 10 minutes ago on my, on my, uh, on my phone, just saying that, again, they're inviting anyone who's a tech startup with some good ideas to come and partner with them and sit in their building. So that's happening. So they're incubating. So that's a more captive model. Some are building their own solutions. So some are going for that build aspect, using some of their knowledge functions and the IT capability they have in their firms. Others are actually buying the innovation capability. You know, to go back to EY, last year they bought Riverview Law, one of the new startup sort of new service providers in the legal services. So again, some are buying it in. Um, and also some are upskilling as another method, you know, training their people in design thinking and the more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial ways of thinking. Mm. And so more generally, uh, how can leaders across business ensure that they effectively manage their people in periods of, of, of innovation? Yeah, I think that's, I think here we come down to, you know, we said in, in periods of innovation, often that means in periods of change. Mm. So what do we know about leadership in times of change? I think it's really important to be a great communicator. And they would say almost factor by times of, by, you know, by, sorry, multiply by a factor of 10, mm. the amount of communication you think you need to do. You know, where's the business going? 
Why are we doing, why are we building? Why have we built an innovation hub? Why have we created these new services? And also, what's your role in it? And what opportunities are there? You know, I always think as a leader, getting that support and the buy-in, you know, from, from the people by actually saying, hey, there's an opportunity in change rather than being scared of change. And I think that's a really important leadership thing. Um, and another thing at this, you know, just in the leadership style at this at this moment, I think, Tom, is also, you know, the style of leadership. What do I mean by that? For me, one thought is how can we minimize hierarchy? Mm. So question to firms, in your firm, is it okay for ideas to come at any point in the hierarchy? You know, I've done lots of things around re- reverse mentoring in the past, you know, and tried to get ideas coming from all levels of the organization. Mm. So can you get some buy-in from people all the way down that, you know, your idea is really valuable? There was a very famous story at one of the big accountancy firms where one of the, um, the juniors apparently came up with an idea that went all the way up to the board and actually was implemented. So the question I think for perhaps, you know, if you're listening to this as a firm is, could that happen in our firm? Mm. Do we actually take in that energy and that creativity and actually utilise it from everyone in the organisation? So do you think that a flatter organisation hierarchy is better for incubating innovative ideas and, and helping people kind of traverse change? I think that's... Great question, you know, and I think organisations, um, they are becoming probably slightly further. And I think there's an interesting millennial aspect to this of are they almost interested or more interested in working for organisations where it feels a bit flatter, where they have access to more senior folk? Mm. You know, is that a more engaging environment to be in where actually my voice does matter even if I've been in the firm a year versus 15 years and one of the ways that you could do that as you mentioned there is reverse mentoring it's kind of creating more of a peer-to-peer relationship Um, so that actually brings me on to my next question which is Mm. during these periods of disruption or change or innovation um, there is anxiety that it will disproportionately affect people who are coming into the workforce, the younger generations. Sure. So should young people be nervous about what's going to happen to entry-level jobs with greater levels of automa- automation? I think there's been a lot of stress around this. You're absolutely right, um, Tom. And I think for me, though, I think what I see is I think some of the tasks become automated. Um but actually, I think in some ways that makes the, the entry-level jobs perhaps more interesting mm. as well because actually instead of doing that stuff, you almost sit above that analysis that you can press a button and get the answer to now and you can begin to be the person that starts interpreting the data, looking for patterns. And as I'm saying all this, you know, you can begin to, we can begin to think about perhaps skill sets that this means slightly shift in this environment. But as I say, with those firms that are adding adjacent services, there are more career paths. There was a law firm about two weeks ago, one of the big law firms said they were actually creating a pathway now for some of their associates who come in on the traditional route. But now actually they were saying, do you know what? You can move across onto a tech career path halfway up your career with a firm. Mm. You know, Because we've realized that's something that clients really value and really need. So I see things evolving actually in a, in a good way. But I think there's also a quid pro quo for that, that you need to be open to actually taking these different opportunities. So I would say if, I, if you're you know, thinking of moving into the professional services world, question, are you open to actually considering, okay, it's not about me being just a technician, just a kind of a, a sort of a, a knowledge technician, you know, with, knowing my, with my expertise. What does that mean for me in actually, oh, that's interesting, tech's in, 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 in that business as well. You know, so being open to actually different opportunities, because I think the opportunities will be there. Mm. And at the conference, you'll be speaking about the polytechnic individuals. So yes. I think you've touched on it briefly there. <laughs> um, 
so the polytechnic individual that we'd need to be in in the modern walk- working world could you explain that sure so this was my um so i started off with my classics background so polytechnic coming from the greek what does that mean it means many skilled mm. polytechni so many many skilled and so my thought there is there's the balance here of knowledge and skill so if knowledge becomes commoditized what do we need to dial up in our development, I think we need to dial up, dial up the skills development. Mm. Uh, and I think firms are realizing that, but also thinking about the different types of skills. So for example, things like creativity or problem solving. There was a really interesting report by Nestor, the, uh, the innovation charity, and they was talking about, there was a report they did on creativity and the future of work. And they looked at, for example, all the references on LinkedIn to jobs in 2019. And creativity came top of all the skill sets that mm. were mentioned the most. So I think that gives us a clue that some of these broader skill sets, also how you relate. You know, the, I think the human skill actually becomes almost more important in, in, in an automated world. And I know we're going to be talking about that at the conference. Yeah. And uh, how, are, how are talent strategies um, kind of changing to deal with, with these new demands? Yeah, and we're seeing firms really think about this. Um, so what are they doing? What I've seen them doing is I think they're looking at the types of skill sets they're hiring. So there's a hiring point here, looking at different talent pools that we discussed a bit already. I think then also they're thinking about how do we evolve the career path, partly to retain people because people are looking for a different type of career, but also to take advantage of all these things that the clients are wanting. Can we create more career paths that are actually more angled towards those new types of areas? They're also looking, I think, for more for creating more learning by doing opportunities. I'm a massive fan of experiential learning and, you know, give people a chance to experiment in their career paths. And I think firms are taking that up and actually creating those opportunities. Um, I think on more on the contractual arrangements, they're looking at perhaps more flexible arrangements. So I think that talent strategy is how can we almost even if we don't retain them 100% in the firm, you know, some have set up almost alumni services where some of the alumni come back and actually have a part time role at the firm. So there's that. Right through to things like annual appraisals as well, moving away from an annual discussion more to a more iterative, ongoing discussion because with really good mentoring. Mm. So I think mentoring and coaching have come in a lot into this. And again, I know we're going to be speaking around coaching. I mentioned it already. You know, coaching is such a great skill set when you're actually when you're actually thinking about how do we engage? How do we ask rather than just tell as leaders? So actually, how can we you know, do that, especially to understand what do people want from their careers? So I say moving around to more uh, regular skills um, and also doing really practical things like work allocation as well. You know, having work allocation so that people don't actually need to do the same thing for 15 years. Actually, they can have more varied tasks, which then will lead them onto these different career paths. Mm. So I think it's all linked, but I think there are lots of talent strategies I've seen people playing with. And so with these new talent strategies, how do you think young people should view their careers uh, when they go into these firms? Yeah. Um, because if the way that they're being attracted to these firms is changing, then probably the way that they should look at their own careers has to change in turn. I think that's dead right. And I, I suppose, Tom, just, you know, as the career path becomes less linear and perhaps more like a lattice, as it's now elegantly called, you know, moving around from different jobs, perhaps sideways into this tech side, then upwards in tech, moving back to a different role. The one thing I would say above all, commit yourself to being a lifelong learner Mm. because that will be the thing that allows you to succeed. Because in a world that's less linear, less defined, you're going to need to reinvent yourself. You know, we're all going to be working to however old we're going to be working to these days, aren't we? (laughs) So I think that whole thought of if I need to reinvent myself five times in my career or even more, perhaps, who knows? Boy, do I need to be up for change 
and almost flexing my identity a bit as well. Going back to some of the research I did way back when, when I was doing my anthropological type research, you know, how do I need to think about changing and iterating my own career and my identity and being really comfortable with that and, and being open to learning? Oh, I better learn something about tech and, and, uh, and stuff like that. Or I better learn about this part of the firm that's developing. So I think within the firms, people are really encouraging or really encouraging their, their people to actually become lifelong learners. So that would be my one top tip. And that's a great tip to leave it on. Nigel, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a really interesting discussion. We look forward to seeing you at the conference. Great. Thank you very much, Tom. Look forward to it. Changeboard's sixth Future Talent Conference will be taking place on the 21st of March in London at the Royal Geographical Society. Join 750 of your peers for a stimulating day of thought leadership on the theme of technology and humanity. Visit our conference website, ftconf2019.com that's ftconf2019.com to get your ticket now we look forward to bringing you another future talent podcast very soon